right, if you want to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> we're going to continue in our series in Colossians talking about the supremacy of Christ, and that is really what the resurrection is all about, the supremacy of Christ in all. What a great place to be. There's always a challenge as a pastor, you're thinking, you know, Easter Sunday, where are we going to be? What are we going to talk about? I mean, I want to share something new. I want to share something. Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Let's just stick with that topic. But even cooler that we're at a passage that just beautifully gives us another angle at uh, how awesome Jesus is. And so I'm excited to look at this this morning. As we consider Jesus, uh, at first glance, you look at the life of Christ. And you'd say, well, he, he lived a rather simple life. I mean, he never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office. Um, I, he never had a political yard sign in his yard, never had a yard um, that was his own, as a, certainly as a grown man. Never wrote a book, never married, never attended college, never visited a big city, never won an athletic tournament championship, never was on a reality TV show, never had a tweet or a selfie or a YouTube video go viral. Jesus. Never had any of those things. Nonetheless, Jesus is by far the most famous person in all of human history. More songs have been sung about Jesus, more artwork created of him, more books written about him than anyone else who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over human history that we can actually measure time by Jesus. Our calendar is divided into the years before and after his birth. B.C. for before Christ, A.D. for Anno Domini, meaning the year in the year of our Lord. No army, no nation, no person has changed human history to the degree that Jesus, a homeless man, has changed human history. Some 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, after he walked the earth, Jesus remains as hip and as popular as Ever. In fact, as uh, Paul promised, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 4, talks about that there's going to come divergent, crazy, various views as the days go on, trying to give kind of kooky views about Jesus. And you need to be on your watch for that because there is such a plethora of different theories and stories and versions of who Jesus is. To, to, to raise the question, sometimes we ask, you know, who is the real Jesus? If he would just come forth, that would be great because I, I would venture to guess the Jesus that we have come to know in some shape or fashion has been influenced by pop culture in ways that we've probably diminished or distorted or maybe don't have quite the accurate view to say that Jesus really is supreme in all. In fact, let me give you some thoughts on this. Uh, we find Jesus on uh, The Simpsons. We find him in South Park. Um, I don't know if you guys, this is a couple years ago, but Jesus was a part of Dog the Bounty Hunter before they would go on a raid or whatever would pray that Jesus would give them safety before each manhunt. So there's Jesus, prime time, um, with Dog the bunny hunt, Bounty Hunter when he was at his prime. We find him in fashion. Jesus is uh, my homeboy gear, sported by nonetheless, to name a few, Madonna, Ashton Kutcher, uh, Ben Affleck, Pamela Anderson, Brad Pitt, many, many others. Uh, we find Jesus in over, well, really hundreds of different mu movies, some of them good, like The Passion of Christ, some of them not so good, like the Da Vinci Code, The Last Temptation of Christ. There's a bizarre Canadian kung fu horror musical comedy called uh, Jesus Christ the Vampire Hunter. He was in that, or at least, you know, portrayed in that. 
Jesus has a wrestling federation, like uh, Wrestlers for Jesus, um, and uh, it's kind of uh, ultimate Christian wrestling. Uh, musically, Jesus has been sung about by Kanye West, Green Day, U2, Carrie Underwood, Elvis, Tom Petty, Depeche Mode, many others. Plenty of people have sang songs about Jesus. Even uh, John, uh, Elton John, Elton John said this to Parade Magazine. I think Jesus was a compassionate, super intelligent gay man who understood human problems. On the cross, he forgave the people who crucified him. Jesus wants us to be loving and forgiving. There's uh, Elton John. Thank you, Elton, Sir Elton. Uh, Jesus has his own hot air balloon. In fact, several of them. Uh, sportsbet.com, hashtag keep the faith. And there's even a bobblehead version you can get to put on your dashboard. Okay, Jesus is hip and cool as ever. And nobody can deny the reality that he has a center place in all of human history. And even in present day pop culture, Jesus is fashionable. And yet, most people really don't know who he is. Yeah, you know, just maybe three weeks ago, I was meeting a guy in a restaurant and, and talking to him about Jesus a little bit and gave him a little booklet to read it's called The Story. We have some in the lobby. And uh, the storytelling of, of the life of Christ in, in talks about fall, creation, God made everything perfect, the fall of humanity, and then the rescue that Jesus came to rescue as promised. Promises were made in the Old Testament that Jesus would come, that God would send his rescue, the Messiah to come deliver the world, and Jesus kept the promise and came to rescue his people. And this guy read that, and he had professed that he was a Christian, and as he read that, he goes, hey man, can I ask you a question? Yeah, what's, what's going on? This says that there was like Bible verses like a long time before Jesus uh, live that said that he was going to come. Is that true? And I was like, yeah, that's true. That's true. So here's a guy that says he follows Christ, and yet he doesn't really know anything about Jesus, doesn't even know that Jesus came in the fulfillment of promises and of prophecies hundreds, thousands of years before he came that, that predicted his coming and his life and his death and his burial and the resurrection. This guy was, knew none of that. Got to move past the bobblehead Jesus to find really the Jesus in the Bible. Jesus and the cults. Mormons say that Jesus was not God, but among many gods. And he um, was a half-brother of Lucifer. Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus is Michael, the archangel, and a created being. Unitarian Universalists teach that Jesus was not God, but a man to be respected for his teachings, his love, his justice, and his healing. Kind of like, you know, Mr. Rogers, just a good man. Um, New Age gurus like uh, Deepak Chopra spins Jesus um, as being the way shower. He says, Deepak would say um, that, uh, told Larry King, I see Christ as the state of consciousness we all can aspire to. Jesus is the way shower. And when we worship Jesus to be the way, he ceases to be the way shower. And we never get to find the enlightenment that we're really looking for, what they would say. Jesus has been distorted by many uh, different religions. Buddhism says Jesus was not God, but an enlightened man like Buddha. Hinduism says he was a, the incarnation of the Brahman, which is this force that has manifested himself in millions of gods. And Jesus is just one of those manifestations of the millions of gods. Islam says Jesus was a mere man, a prophet, inferior to Muhammad, although Jesus, unlike Muhammad, and Islam would have affirmed this, was sinless, born of a virgin, um, amazing in so many different ways, even as represented in the Quran, but yet inferior to Muhammad. 
All of these are distortions of who Christ is. And interestingly enough, of all the different beliefs, look at uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 33. You don't have to look there, but let me just read this for you. We read, after Jesus healed people, he would permit demons to, to not speak of him because they knew who he was. Luke chapter 4, verse 33, it says, One of the demons cried out, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Interestingly enough, the best Christology you find out there in the world sometimes comes from demons more than anybody else. They know who Jesus is, there's no question. And so it is important this morning, as we think about the resurrection, I think it's, it's a valid, wonderful thing for us to kind of go back to ask, answer the question, who really is Jesus Christ? And Colossians 1 is probably one of the most uh, powerful passages of scriptures to give us a better Christology, a better understanding of who Christ is, better vision for who the real Jesus of the Bible and of creation really is. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Amen. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having been having made peace through the blood of his cross through him i say whether things on earth or things in heaven now it's believed by many commentators that this passage of scripture these few verses um, hold what would be a Christian hymn in the early church. Some debate whether this was a common hymn that, that Paul was just kind of referring back to and putting some of his theology um, and, and adding some things to it to address some specific issues in the church, uh, the Colossae church, Colossians church, or uh, some think that this is just an original hymn from Paul. We know it's under the inspiration of scripture because it's in the word of God, but nonetheless, it gives us some really good stuff about Jesus, and we want to just take some time to look at these two major themes in this. Jesus is supreme because of who he is. And then secondly, Jesus is supreme because of what he has done. So two major points in this passage. Many would say that this kind of hymn is divided into two little segments. And I think that you'll find that to be true as we go through it in the next few moments. So Jesus is supreme because of who he is. In other words, because of his person. Who is Jesus? This reveals him to be the visible expression of of God, first and foremost. He is the image of the invisible God. That word image is literally, it's the word that we get icon from, and it kind of means two different things possibly. One is the representation of something, and the second one is the manifestation of something. And that's really what this is referring to. Jesus is the manifestation of God. J.B. Phillips uh, translated the Bible for his children, uh, did a kind of a translation for his kids to be able to understand, and he rendered this. He said that Jesus is the visible expression. And I think that's a beautiful way 
of looking at it. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the visible expression of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John chapter 1, verse 18 says that no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So God the Father has made Himself known through God the Son, who is the exact imprint, the exact expression, the exact representation of God the Father. He is not just like His Father. He is the manifestation of the Father to the earth. Okay, it's different. I, my boys, you can look at them and you can say, well, they looked a little bit like their dad, maybe. And unfortunately, they don't act so much like him. That's good. But, but they're, they're like me in different ways, but they're not exact representations of me. And so Jesus is an exact representation of the Father. He is the Father manifested God the Father manifested through the second person of the Trinity. Visible expression of God. We have, interesting, this is, the visible God has become visible. God's substance and character has been made known in Jesus. God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus, uh, in his son Jesus, so that we can see him even in our fallen and earthly condition with our minds that don't really see things always accurately, we can see God with flesh on in the person of Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said, if you've seen me, you have seen my Father. You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at me. That's what the Father looks like. So we have been created in the image of God. Jesus is the exact manifestation, invisible representation of God. That we know in Genesis chapter 3, the Mago Day, that, that we are created in the image of God. We are like Him in that we have purpose, dignity, worth, value, but not like Him in that we are not representing Him on the earth as the exact manifestation of God with flesh. Jesus alone holds that, and Jesus alone is 100% God and 100% man when He dwelt on this earth. And so the visible expression of God. Second, he refers to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. Now, this could cause some problems for some, shouldn't, based upon context and the rest of Scripture. Whenever you find a phrase or a verse that you look at in the Word and you go, well, that's kind of confusing, um, enlightened, confusing verses by clearly revealed verses. But nonetheless, what does it mean when it says he's the firstborn of all creation? How can he be the one who caused everything to be, but yet be the firstborn of creation at the same time? How is that possible? Well, it's not referring to Jesus' origin when it says he is the firstborn of all creation. Clearly, in the Bible, if you read Genesis and you look at uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, even Joseph, the, the rights of the firstborn in those times, New Testament times, Old Testament times, are a big deal. And so speaking of somebody being firstborn is a statement about authority and about having kind of authority and, and a birthright. Uh, it's not referring necessarily to origin when it refers to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. It's going to go on to refer to him as the firstborn from the dead. Clearly, he wasn't the first one to die. He wasn't the first one to be resurrected from the dead, interestingly enough. But he is the firstborn from the dead. Why is that? Because he has authority and he has right as the one before all other others. And so 
Not only is he the exact representation of the Father, he has the rights of the firstborn of creation. Thirdly, he is the creator God. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing. Creator God, born of a virgin, placed in a little manger. I mean, creator God, wow, creator God. uh, When we think of the creation, God speaking the world into existence, six days of creation, we think of God the Father, big cloud and speaking and booming voice, whatever. We don't think of Jesus. We don't think of Jesus, Mount of Beatitudes, preaching a sermon. We don't think of Jesus walking on the water. We don't think of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We don't think of Jesus coming to a broken person whose body is, is broken because of the fallenness of sin, lame, never walked, or diseased by leprosy, or blind. And Jesus comes to his creation that he made perfect, that has been perverted and destroyed because of sin. And he comes and touches and restores them to what they were the way he intended things to be as he caused all to be. The Bible says, amazingly, that by him, all things were created. Jesus is the creator. I still can't wrap my mind around that. I mean, every time I come back to that, I think about the implications. I think about all of my presuppositions about Jesus. I think of all the images in my head of Jesus' ministry and of the Gospels and whatever. And I, and I back up and I go, no, me Go back to the Old Testament and I think about God creating everything. Jesus, that's Jesus. Six days, Jesus did that. He created everything. For by him, all things were created both in heaven and on earth. Now, interestingly here, if you're trying to understand this passage, beautiful little deal in the language, it's kind of a two categories he, cre- he, he says there. So he's the firstborn of all creation, and then he's going to come down, and he's going to say, and all things have been created through him and for him. That's the statement. And then in the middle of that is a little bit of detail. And the detail is this, both heavens and earth. Visible, earth. Invisible, heavens. Heavens, Heaven is not the place where God hangs out. It's not where God has his little house set up and he kind of hangs out there in heaven. Heavens are another dimension that we can't see that's there. We just can't see it. It's the spiritual realm is what he's talking about when he refers to the heavens. He's talking about the spiritual realm that we can't see with our physical eyes. That is, everybody is as real as the air you breathe. The things invisible and the things visible, the heavens and the earth. He caused all of those to be. He spoke those all into existence. He created all of those, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. What is that a reference to? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says that we wrestle when you're battling with people and there's struggles going on in this world. Understand that you're not fighting flesh and blood but the principalities and the rulers of the air. In other words, it's demonic forces that you're coming against that are attacking and are causing the conflict in your family and your friendships and in the world and all of this. It's demonic forces at work, and that's what we're wrestling against. So understand who the real enemy is. It's not your spouse. It's not your friend. It's not your family. The real enemy is Satan and his minions, the principalities and rulers. And, And there is a category thrones dominions rulers authorities there is a hierarchy in the demonic world of power and jesus whether it doesn't distinguish whether he's talking about fallen or angels or angels that have not fallen but nonetheless by him all things were created heavens earth visible invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been 
created through him and for him. And speaking of the thrones and dominions and rulers of the air, I tend to think that he's referring to the demonic world there because in the next chapter, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he's going to say this, that Jesus has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. That means he has spiked the ball on them, mocked them and did a end zone dance on them. He has mocked them and put them to open shame, rubbed their faces in it. How? By triumphing over them. How? Through the cross and the resurrection. Jesus has shamed them. All the forces that would come against him and say, oh, we, we got you. We got you. We got your people. We got your church. We got your. We can take them down. We, Jesus has overcome and has triumphed over them. And so as all things were created by Jesus, they are also have been created through Jesus and they are for Jesus. Someone once said it's kind of like creation is almost like a boomerang that's thrown out from God. God has made everything and it's all going to come back to him and bring glory and honor and praise to him. In the end, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to go, wow, that's amazing. In fact, it makes me think of Ephesians chapter 2 says that um, we're born dead in our transgressions. Sins goes on by grace. We've been saved. And then he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained beforehand that we would uh, walk in them, that, that we are the masterpiece that in the end, God's not going to look at all of us or the creation and the principalities and rulers of the air and the angels are all going to look at us and they're not going to see necessarily our individual threads. The threads are going to come together, the stories of redemption of each of our lives to paint this greater picture that is going to give massive glory and honor to the true artist and master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has created all things. All things were made by him and are made through him and are to him. Jesus is the creator. So we worship Jesus as supreme because of who he is. He is the visible expression of God. He has the rights in the first place and the authority from the father. And thirdly, Jesus is the creator God. But that's not all. We also worship Jesus because he is supreme for what he has done. He is supreme for what he has done. This is it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you are Bette Midler fans, but uh, she had a song back in the day. From a distance, from a distance, God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. It's lovely. And that's not, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of the Bible and the God of the Bible is not a from a distance, deistic, made the world and then stands back to watch things go. No, no, no. He created everything. Everything was made by him, through him, and is for him. And he is intimately involved in his creation because not only is he amazing and supreme because he has caused all things to be, but creator God, creator Jesus came King Jesus to come live on this earth, to invade his creation, to rescue and fix what we had broken. And so we worship Jesus because of who he is, but then secondly, because of what he has done, his work, his person, and then his work. He is our redeemer. He is the center, and he is the re-creator. He is eternal, He's, and in his uh, eternality, has always existed before his creation, but at a point of time, it's amazing, at a point of time, he entered into his creation. 
It's kind of like somebody once said, if you were to take a plane, uh, a, you know, just a blank piece of paper, this will serve purposes, I have a pen, and we are to just take this and go in every direction infinitely. That's, that's eternity. And so God is not confined by time. He is eternal. But nonetheless, He has created and made His creation. And there is a point, there's a beginning, and there will be an end to His creation. And Jesus comes and He invades that timeline. He invades that point of time and comes into, though He's eternal, Jesus, always existing with the Father, He comes and invades the timeline to come and to rescue and to redeem us. He is also, verse 18, He is also the head of the body, the church. The head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. What what does this mean? Well, this reminds us of the interconnectedness. We talk about the church as the body of Christ, interconnectedness and the interdependence of the various parts of the body. You need me, I need you, we need each other. There's, there's, all of us are important parts of the body, but none of us are the most important part of the body because the most important part of the body is the head, and that is Jesus. He has the sole right and place of being the head of the body, the church. And so, like a body, the church matures. Like a body, the church needs health. Like a, a body, we're dependent upon the head who is Christ. And so Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is also the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Uh, it could be translated this way. He is the beginning, that is, the firstborn from the dead. Some of your translations might say he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, but Anne's really not in there in the original language. It should be Jesus is the beginning, that is, the firstborn of the dead. Verse 15 refers to the firstborn of all creation. First, the fact that Jesus being preexistent, having authority and his birthright over his creation. And here, firstborn of the dead, he wasn't the first to die, nor was he the first to come back to life. There's a couple examples. There's a place in uh, Old Testament where prophet Elijah uh, raises somebody from the dead. There we know that Jesus Remember uh, the, the shortest verse of the Bible? Jesus wept because he found out that Lazarus had died and he goes and he raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus clearly wasn't the first one to come back to life, but he is the firstborn of from the dead. What does that mean? And it means that Jesus, there's something remarkably different and there's something remarkably unique and there's something remarkably supreme about Jesus coming from the dead. Because of sin, humanity has been infected with a disease, and that disease is death. One of my professors uh, in seminary, Dr. Steve Wilkes, made a huge impact on my life. Great man, loves Jesus, passionate about the Lord. He, uh, a couple days ago, he's in his early 60s, I believe, still leading mission trips all around the world, major catalyst in church planning around the world, and certainly in the United States, and just uh, loves Jesus, loves seeing folks follow Christ, just great man. A couple days ago, he had, something happened to him. They're not sure exactly what happened. His heart stopped, and he is in the hospital right now, and probably today is going to likely die unless God just chooses to heal him. And that's it's incredible to think about it, but it's, but it's what's amazing to me is to see his family, his daughter, uh, Meredith, as she is 
shared about the story of her father and has just continued to ponder. She's experiencing God's grace, his wife also, in just a very special way. Think about her father who's preached Christ his whole life. He would, there is no day he would rather go to meet Jesus than the day of his resurrection. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is in this state because of the infection of death that came into this world because of sin. Lazarus couldn't fix that. Elijah couldn't fix it. Elisha couldn't fix that. Elijah's servant Gehazi couldn't fix that. Nobody could fix that. Nobody can, in their own power, bring anybody back to life and overcome death. But Jesus, his, his death and his resurrection was unique and supreme and stands alone in history. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, you know this. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is no longer victorious. And death no longer has a sting. You know, the, the, the thing that makes death so... Uh, makes us so afraid of death, is what, what happens after the grave? And what's going to happen to me before I stand before God? What's going to happen? The thought of eternity separated from God, the thought of hell, the thought of judgment, the thought of dealing, having to deal with the consequences of our sins. There was no death before we sinned. We sin, fall of man happens, and the consequence of the fall of man, among thorns and other things, was that man will die. And so we are mortal, physically. Souls, immortal. Bodies, are mortal. They're going to die. But Jesus conquered and took the sting of death away. Death cannot hurt us. We have no fear. And though we pray that God would heal Dr. Wilkes and he would have many more faithful years of service to God as God has used him tremendously, there is no grief in him dying and being in the presence of God. That, that's not something that we're sad about. That, that it's triumphant that he is now going to see face to face the one who he has proclaimed with his whole life. Faithfully. That is spectacular. That is miraculous. It's incredible. And it's all because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And then he is first in all. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. This is a beautiful phrase here, first place in everything, translated a variety of different ways into English. Some people say that he would have preeminence in all things, that he would be preeminent to all things. Some have translated that he would be supreme in all things. But ultimately, he would have first place. He is the head of everything else. Just as creation depends on him for its existence and its order, that he holds all things together. Jesus, with his power, holds everything. That you feel like the world's in disorder right now, right? You feel like it's in chaos and it's crazy. Well, it's not. God has a plan and his plan will not fail. God is not worried and anxious about the way the world's going right now. He holds it all together, and it's all coming to its culmination in his sovereign power. He's going to bring this whole thing together because it's made by him, through him, and for him, and he's going to bring it to culmination because he 
is the firstborn from the dead, and he is going to have first place in all things. Just as creation depends on him for existence and order, so also our redemption and our recreation depends on him. Jesus has supremacy in all things because of his person, but second, because of his work. Let me, let me read the last part of this verse, and then we're done this morning. Verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. That God was pleased, in other words, God is pleased to take on human form and to come and dwell on this earth to rescue His creation and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. Now, what that means is that there's this conflict between man who's rebelled against God, who has been infected by sin and death and, and is going to reap the consequences the logical consequences of rebellion against perfect God, holy God, righteous God, unrighteous man is going to be uh, is going to die and experience eternal judgment because of that. And yet God, while we were yet enemies of his, Romans chapter 5 is willing to demonstrate his love in such a way that in fact verse uh, chapter 5 verse 12 God has demonstrated verse 8 God has demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and then Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And yet Jesus comes and he takes sinners and he, through his life and his death, has made us friends with God. Friends with God. You could be a friend with God. Yeah, you sin again. Yes, you've rebelled again. Yes, you deserve to be destroyed by him. Yes, but God has taken care of that by invading, by being pleased to take on flesh and to come to this earth to die on a cross in our place so that we can be friends with God. And, and not friends as in he's just going to look past your sin. No, it's far better than that. God's not just, he's not just looking past your sin going, you know what, I'm not, I'm not even going to judge you for it. No, he has judged your sin. He judged it on the cross. He's just, he has justly died for your sins and paid the penalty for yours and my sins. And so he has reconciled all things to himself. Lastly, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, he has set everything in order because he has made peace through the cross. Your relationship with God can be right. And your relationship with His creation can be right. Whether things in heaven or things on earth, doesn't matter. God has reconciled us to Himself for all those who will repent and believe in Christ. And so here's, here's the, the message. Hopefully, you're coming away going, wow, <coughs> Jesus is not just a bobblehead in a hot air balloon. Okay, Jesus is not, really, is not just my homeboy here. That's... that's, that's Honestly, it's, it's disrespectful to who Jesus is. He is supreme in all things because of his person and because of his work in redemption. He is mind-blowing. And because of that, I need to just fall on my face before him and surrender my life to him. What is it in your life that you think is good enough to conquer death? What is it in your life that can reconcile you and bring peace in your life? What is it that really satisfies you, gives you hope, 
gives you pleasure? What is, it, what is the escape valve for you that you run to that, that you think that thing's good enough that I like that and you, you tend to elevate that as your savior above Jesus? I, I'm telling you, Jesus alone is supreme in all things. Transcendent in all things. And he alone is worthy of our lives laid down and surrendered. And so if you are here on this Resurrection Sunday and you have never repented, meaning you've turned away from your sins and your ability to save yourself through religion or to run from God in rebellion, either way, you've turned away from your religiosity or your sinfulness and rebellion, and you've never turned to Christ and embraced all of who He is, the person and the work of Christ, then I would beg you this morning, please repent and put your faith in the Jesus of the Bible as revealed in this beautiful hymn. And if you are a follower of Christ, wow, should our lives not be radically different? Should our allegiances not be radically different? Should the trajectory of and the way we spend the days we have left on this earth not be radically different because this is the Christ who has saved us and whom we should proclaim? In fact, I'm not going to take the time. You have to come back next week to look at the next verses. But uh, he's going to go on to say, this is the way we used to live. This is the way we live now. And all that flows out of the reality of who Christ is. So it's going to go from theological to real practical here in the next couple verses. You can read it alone uh, later. But how are our lives supposed to be different? I, well, it starts with the right view, view of Christ and then our hearts surrendered anew and afresh to him. And so this morning, well, if you've walked away, you know Jesus, but he is not center. He is not preeminent. It is not just disrespectful for Jesus not to be preeminent in first place in your life and supreme in your life. It's not just disrespectful. It is, it's not just shocking. I mean, it is horrific. It's cosmic rebellion for him. He's the only one rightfully to be at the center of our lives and to be supreme in all of who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we worship you this resurrection day, you are the firstborn of from the dead. God, you're the creator, Jesus. Sustainer, Jesus. And not only that, you are the recreator. You take fallen people and you make them new creations. You recreate what has been lost. You restore what has been taken or stolen or forfeited. And you give us an inheritance among your people. You give us a home. You make peace between us and God and us and our fellow man. And we praise you and lift you and up and worship you this morning because of that reality. Jesus' name, we give glory and honor and praise to you. Amen.